Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. We are now in the final hours of the 2018 legislative session. And not surprisingly, lawmakers and Governor Dayton seem headed for an impasse on some issues they consider their top priorities. Overnight, the House and Senate passed a supplemental budget bill. It includes money for school safety improvements, roads and bridges, opioid reform, and elder care initiatives, along with many more. But Governor Dayton still plans to veto it, saying he has issues with more than 100 items in it, even though many of those have been addressed. Now, the governor also vetoed a number of bills. One would have increased penalties for protesters who block freeways, airports, and transit lines. He also vetoed a bill that would reimburse deputy registrars for their losses due to problems with the Minlar system. House and Senate Republicans say they will try to override that veto. There are also a number of major issues still outstanding, from tax conformity to emergency school funding for districts facing deficits. Late last night, it became apparent lawmakers and the governor are moving further apart rather than coming together. 3463. The Minnesota House went into session at precisely 1 p.m. Saturday. By early evening, they had passed precisely one bill. Under Section 2 members, we Over in the Senate, they also time. went into session at 1 and didn't come back until after 5 to vote on a bill regarding an expansion at Regions Hospital. Not exactly a sprint to the finish with a midnight Sunday deadline looming. You know, we have to finish by midnight Sunday, and so there's a lot of things that we would like to get done, but we know in the end, if, if we don't have time, that things have to drop off, and that's just how it is. The to-do list includes a tax bill that would cut income taxes and conform state tax law with federal law. That can only happen if lawmakers agree to emergency funding the governor demands to help schools facing deficits. There's also a separate funding measure for school safety. And there's the bonding bill where the governor and lawmakers remain hundreds of millions of dollars apart. Late Saturday night, the governor made a counteroffer to Republicans on the tax bill, which they quickly rejected, saying the governor still wants to raise taxes, not cut them. I love the, the, the word compromise, but we can't throw it around as if there was real compromise in that tax bill proposal. Meanwhile, Republicans offered $225 million in emergency funding for schools, more than the governor proposed. But it's mostly through various financing mechanisms, not new money. Governor Dayton says he's not optimistic there will be a spending bill, a tax bill, or new school funding. I think this, this session has been a shambles. I think the failure to even manage the final weeks and days uh, has been the worst I've ever seen. And we are joined this morning by Governor Mark Dayton. And Governor Dayton, I have to tell you, this 2018 legislative session appears to be headed for an epic meltdown. We just heard in your words, you think it's a shambles and maybe the worst end of session you've ever seen. Who's to blame for this? Well, the Republican, and especially the House, have just caved into the big special interest, the money interest. You, you got a tax bill that gives $200 million to multinational corporations for repatriating their foreign profits that even the Republican Congress voted to tax. They want to leave, leave them $200 million they're going to give away to them. You got the opioid, big pharmacy doesn't have to pay anything. You know, and the Senate Republicans, uh, Senator, Senator um, Rosen and others to their great credit, you know, were pushing this, uh, others in the House. But, you know, 
Why, why is the pharmaceutical industry more important than the people of Minnesota? Now, Republicans, of course, will flip the script and say that your demand for emergency school funding very late in the session was a political ploy to essentially give you cover to not let them get tax cuts. Uh, I think that's absurd. First of all, look, look at all this, the stuff they've put in in this last uh, week. It hasn't had a hearing, hasn't had any kind of consideration. I mean, for them to say that I three weeks ago, uh, when I'm responding to a genuine emergency, 59 school districts are facing deficits that are going to cause draconian cuts for teachers and curriculum next fall. I mean, that, you know, why wouldn't they just on a bipartisan basis say, yeah, there's a, there's a crisis here, and we're going to all join together and do something about it. Well, what they're saying is that before you vetoed uh, that tax bill, and just a few weeks ago is when you brought up the emergency school funding. They say you didn't have it in your supplemental budget. It was not in your state of the state address, and it seemed to come out of nowhere. So there's an excuse for not doing what they could do. There's $200 million tax-exempt for multinational corporations, and I'm saying let's take $134 million of that and help the schools, help the kids. Uh, you know, I mean, if they want to nitpick about, you know, what time and whatever, I, as I say, they, they violated that uh, promise all the way through. Now, overnight, uh, early in the morning, uh, this morning, the House and Senate passed a massive supplemental budget bill uh, that you avowed to veto, even though it includes money for school safety funding. There is opioid and elder care legislation in there that, again, you're not happy with, but at least it's something. There are many other things, obviously, in the bill. It's 990 pages long. Are you willing to give all that up? Well, they're putting me in a position where I have to, to, to prevent some just horrible policy stuff that shouldn't be in that bill at all. You know, they know what they're doing. They're trying to sweeten the bill so they can run around this fall and say, oh, Dayton vetoed opioid, Dayton vetoed uh, uh, school safety. I mean, I've asked them, I've, you know, implored them to send the school safety as a separate standalone bill. They send me all this other stuff as standalone bills, but they just want to put it in there so they can play politics. This session is, been, is about Republicans' re-election next year. I hate to say it, but it is. And I've never seen anything that blatant. You look at the, you know, the, every moneyed interest that can help them out in the fall is, is getting their way, the, the detriment of the people of Minnesota. Are they going to be able to maybe make that case, given the fact that it appears this legislative session might not have any marquee accomplishments? Well, they're in the process through this session of, of putting together enough money that they can try to convince Minnesota the sky is green, the grass is blue. I mean, that's the only way I can really make sense of this. I, I hate to say it, because Minnesota government should be better than that. But if you look at uh, big pharmacy, uh, pharmaceutical companies, you look at the uh, big multinational corporations, you look at the nursing home chains, every single time they sold out the people of Minnesota to benefit those interests. Now, if there is no tax bill, uh, that means there will be no tax conformity. Minnesotans will not only pay more in taxes next year, at least many uh, Minnesotans, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, just the ability to do your taxes will become a monumental headache. I've talked to a lot of CPAs who say this is not, uh, you know, the sky is falling. This will actually happen. Are you willing to let that happen? Well, I regret that. shouldn't happen. doesn't need to happen if they'd uh, sit down and negotiate a bill. But, you know, it's the tax bill, is, aside from the education part of it, the tax bill is just heavily weighted toward, again, multinational corporations, the rich get more, the middle income, uh, they get three times more by their t uh, tax cut proposal 
than uh, the middle than the wealthiest people, and they get about one third of what they would get under my proposal. I mean, they had opportunities to put this in a way that's really equitable, and they just haven't done it. Are, are there concerns about uh, your legacy at all after the messy end to last year's session that ended up in the Minnesota Supreme Court? The year before that, there was a bonding bill that went down. Earlier in your tenure, there was a government shutdown. Any concern about your legacy becoming Governor Gridlock? I, uh, I'm not concerned about my legacy. I'm concerned about what, what I think is best for the people of Minnesota. That's my responsibility. That's my sole focus uh, in this session, and my legacy can be left to historians. You vetoed the protest bill uh, that would uh, have tougher penalties for blocking highways, access to airports, public transit. You had signaled at various times maybe a willingness to sign that. Ultimately, you vetoed it. Why? Well, because I said, I've said that I would, would support putting stricter penalties for blocking freeways, interstate highways, and access to airports. But they added transit, and they've got the old language, which says if something tends to, well, if you're going to charge someone with a gross misdemeanor, it's got to be something more direct than, than what they've done tends to cause. Uh, and, you know, it's just if they commit various acts such as assaulting a police officer in the midst of that demonstration, that's a gross misdemeanor. It should be a felony. I mean, it should be severe. So there are, there are actions that, that, if they take place during the course of a protest, uh, that are illegal, that uh, there are strong penalties, and there should be. You also vetoed millions to reimburse uh, deputy registrars who have literally borne the brunt of the Minlars uh, problem. Uh, many of them say they'll go out of business unless the legislature overrides your veto. Why did you veto that? I support getting the money for the, the deputy registrars, but uh, they also need to include as part of that the money that we need to resolve Minlars. You know, again, the legislature, I believe, some of them, Republicans and especially the House, want to keep Minlars looking as bad as possible through the election. This is one of these just crass violations of public interest. So, yes, I want the money for the uh, deputy registrars, and I also want the money proposed to fix Minlars so it's improved for everybody, for everybody not just the... Uh, a special group. And final thing, as we head into this last day of the legislative session, are you willing to walk away with no tax bill, no spending bill, possibly no bonding bill, no opioid legislation, no elder care legislation? Are you willing to weigh, walk away without any of that? Well, and that's how they're setting it up. You know, I have to veto the, a, bu a budget bill, which has got all sorts of trash in it, things I've told them for months are unacceptable, and then they drop in a watered-down opioid uh, and they drop in a watered-down uh, elder care, and, and now maybe even the school safety, so they can run around and say, "I've vetoed that." I mean, they've set this up, and, and they've done it uh, with the their re-election in mind, not the best interest of the people of Minnesota. So at this point, it seems like all of those things are headed for vetoes. Well, they got another 12 hours when they when they show up today to, to remedy it, but I'm not optimistic. All right, Governor Mark Dayton, with a long day ahead, uh, best of luck to you as you try to work your way through this. Uh, of course, up next, we're going to speak with some legislative leaders. They will join me in studio about what is left to accomplish and whether or not they can reach a compromise with the governor in the waning hours of the session. That is coming up two minutes from now. And we're joined now by four legislative leaders who have a busy day ahead of them, Republican House Majority Leader 
Joyce Pepin of Rogers, DFL Representative Liz Olson of Duluth, Republican Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka of Nisswa, and DFL Senate Assistant Minority Leader Jeff Hayden of Minneapolis. And Majority uh, Leader Pepin, let me start with you. The governor seemed to lay a lot of the blame for what is happening at the Capitol uh, at the feet of the House of Representatives. How do you respond? It's absolutely wrong. We've been working on that bill for the last two weeks. He came to us a few days ago with 117 concerns in the bill. We jettisoned 71 of them or modified them to his wishes. Um, he's had input and we put together a successful bill that addressed things like opioids, school safety funding, elder care, uh, money for guardians ad litem, funding for mental health for not only school children but farmers, chronic wasting disease, uh, and numerous amount of things. And uh, those are priorities to all the caucuses and the governor. So. Uh, we still hope that he will read the bill and sign it. And again, that's the budget bill that was passed in the early morning hours. Senator Gazelka, you passed a tax bill uh, that the governor vetoed in the past week. He claims that entire thing is a political ploy, something that you can uh, take on the campaign trail and say, look at all the things that the governor and Democrats opposed. Well, it's not true. And he also said that we're giving gifts to the multi, multi big corporations. That's not true. They actually have a tax increase overall in the tax bill. What we did do is do the conformity, which was the most important part, and we lowered the tax bracket for the lowest and second lowest brackets. And so it's just not true what he's setting up as, as what we're trying to do. We need to get it done. We're focused on getting it done. We're, we're going to try it one more time. There is work behind the scenes. Uh, my end goal is that we pass all of these bills. It will take some cooperation from the governor. And the last thing I'll say is we've send, sent a lot of individual bills that have been vetoed. So combining a group of bills to try to get something done for all of us would be good for Minnesota. Representative Olson, as, as a member of uh, the minority in the House, it's difficult uh, for you guys to have much say in all of this. But is there a role that you can play? Are there some of these things that maybe some of you agree with that maybe the governor doesn't just because you want to get this legislation moving forward? Well, I think there are things that we walked into session hoping we could accomplish around elder abuse and around the opioid epidemic. And, you know, it was unfortunate to see those things get rolled into a giant omnibus bill that came onto our desks late at night and, you know, fall short in those areas. So I think, you know, we continue to keep the pressure on to ask those to come as a standalone bill or to give us the ample time to really address them if it continues to be lumped in there to really to do what we, we set out to do, what we thought we could do in a bipartisan way when we walked in at the start of session. Now, Senator Hayden, in the, in the Senate, you have a, a closer uh, vote there, 34-33, so the minority in the Senate has a little more power because the Republicans got to keep everything together. What kind of a role can Democrats play in maybe trying to broker some kind of a compromise so that something can come out of this session? Well, I think we'll continue to work uh, with the governor, certainly uh, with the majority party, to figure out if there's a pathway uh, that works through. The governor's been pretty clear, as he was in the segment before us, about the things that he objects to. I think a thousand-page bill late at night is probably not the best way to do things. I've been around here a little bit of time, and this used to be a policy uh, year, a policy and bonding, and we'd have a policy bill. And if there's a supplemental budget bill, it'd really be wrapped into the things that we need to do from a fiscal standpoint. To put them all together, I think, really kind of jeopardizes the process. One, we can't get through it. And number two, we're lumping kind of objectionable policy into things that really need to get done from a fiscal standpoint. Senator Gazalka, the one thing I think that impacts every single viewer out there is the tax bill. And without tax conformity, tax season next year could be a real nightmare. How big of a concern is that? 
Well, it's a huge concern, and the governor said he won't pass it unless he gets more education money, and we, we've committed to over $250 million of educa education money in different pots. But the reason why we're willing to do that and put it with the tax bill is so we can get the tax bill done. We know it's important for people to have to file two different tax forms next year. It would be very, very complicated, and it's something that we don't, we don't have to do. We're close enough we can do it. If we can just work a little bit better together, I think we can get it done. Representative Olson, is that something your constituents are going to be very concerned about? If there is no tax bill, uh, what will happen with their taxes next year? I think there's, of course, issue that we want to still work that out and get to a place where we can agree and find that compromise before the end. That said, with the school safety measures, I think, you know, I've heard loud and clear from my district, who's in a state of crisis around this, that, you know, new funding is really, or, you know, funding to address this is an emergency state and in dedicating the resources we need, not just pulling from different pots, but actually putting forward something that solves that problem is also really important to my district and my constituents. Majority Leader Pepin, this uh, Minlar's issue was a big issue when the session started. It's a big issue now at the end, the governor has vetoed the reimbursement for deputy registrars. Will the House attempt to override his veto? We'll certainly look at it, and we were just shocked that he would have vetoed the bill for to help make deputy registrars whole again. The Smidlars is a crisis that his agency created. We've uh, put uh, some emergency funding in. We've hoped that his administration would fix it. And uh, it's just appalling that he would veto that bill and not make the deputy registrars whole again. So. We will definitely consider that. Senator Hayden, it passed by a wide margin in the House and Senate. Would you join in an override of that to help out these registrars? No, we're not going to override the governor. Um, we're going to work this out. We're going to have a good conversation. Um, there is some objectionable uh, language in there about where the money is coming from and if they're depleting other funds. So I think that there's a much better way to do it. But we're going to hang pretty tough. We think that the governor is on the right pathway, uh, and our caucus is prepared to support him. I want a one-word response from each one of you, yes or no. Will there be a tax bill that the governor can sign by the end of the day? Absolutely. That's a yes. Yes, including bonding as well. I'll go with what the leaders are saying. <laughs> Senator Hayden? As long as they don't do it like last year and put a poison pill in it. All right. Well, a little over 12 hours to get this all figured out, 14 hours to be exact. Thank you all for being here. I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. appreciate your Thank joining you. us here on At Issue. Up next, we'll dive into all of this with our political analysts, Ember Reichgott-Young and Brian McClung. We'll be back in two minutes. And back now for political analysis. Plenty to analyze with Brian McClung, former communications director for Governor Pawlenty, and Ember Reichgott-Young, a former DFL state senator. And Ember, let me start with you. You've been through many of these end-of-session uh, situations. Uh, this one, I, I should you know, I say it's messier than most. They've all been messy in recent years. Where does this one rank, and what is the end game here? I think it ranks at one of the lowest uh, because there is a governance breakdown here. There's three things. One is it's been all or nothing, and that means everything's in a big bill, and you can't put all those different issues in one bill with thoughtful consideration. Secondly, many legislators have been reduced in their relevance. If they are not involved as a manager of a bill or a leader, their expertise isn't being tapped. We're losing that. And thirdly, there is basically stealth special interests. The opioid group, uh, the pharmaceutical companies are not saying anything, but the opioid bill is going down. The gun bill is going down. The gun lobby isn't speaking out. The nursing home facilities bill is going down because they have been undermining it. These are legislative issues. They are not executive issues. And really, Brian, they're not that stealthy because you look at the 
campaign or the finance reports and you see how much money they're spending on lobbying at the, at the state capitol. You have approached this before as a communications director for a governor. The, a governor has a whole different way of looking at these issues. Uh, Republicans didn't invent the putting a lot of things in a, in a bill that are unrelated, uh, but they certainly maybe perfected the crime. Well, this has happened, yeah, this has happened when Democrats control the legislature when there's a divided legislature. So it's not really who's been in charge. This is just an issue where, you know, a lot of these things get rolled up into one, especially when there's this controversy and conflict going on throughout the session. But I think one of the unfortunate things is that Governor Dayton really wasn't engaged with legislators early enough, soon enough. He sent letters, sure, but letters are no substitute for real conversations, getting engaged early, getting the legislators over there. So from my perspective, governors have the ultimate responsibility to try to bring things together at the legislature. And I think on that front, Governor Dayton has let us down this year. One, one answer, word answer from each of you, just like I did from the lawmakers. Will there be a tax bill the governor can sign? I think there will because his revenue department really wants to make sure they can get this in place for next year's tax As filers. For one word, I got 30. Uh, what are you? Well, yes or no? No. Okay, there we go. A couple other issues I want to get to. Jason Lewis had a town hall meeting yesterday. Democrats have been clamoring for a year. You've got to have one. It was fairly uneventful, Ember, but at least he's got it on the record. He did a few town halls. Since when do you have to have tickets to go to a special, to a town hall meeting, Tom? That is just outrageous. That's worse than what happened Probably before. mostly a security issue because there were people who wanted to disrupt. Well, that's what we've heard, and we know that a lot of these special interest groups are trying to just take advantage of these town halls to try to make members of Congress look bad. That's not the point. There's lots of ways to contact your, your representatives as well. That's not the only way to do it. Angie Craig is going to have one every month, she says. Just 10 seconds left. Uh, Jeff Johnson picked a, a virtual unknown for his running mate. How is that going to impact things at the Republican convention? I don't think it really does. I mean, I think she's got an interesting background, an interesting profile, so that's nice to see. But really, the running mate, I don't think, has a big impact on that. I agree. It will not have a big impact. The primary is going to be a pretty hard-fought one in the Republican side. I think maybe the Democrat side, too. We'll talk about that maybe next week. Uh, Brian and Ember, thank you for being here. We'll be back in 90 seconds. In the midst of all the end of session craziness, this has been the go-to spot to escape and take a minute to relax at the state capitol. It's the Logia, which overlooks the capitol grounds and much of downtown St. Paul. The views are stunning, especially in spring and summer. After being closed off for many years, it was reopened last year as part of the $310 million capital restoration project. We like to see what you have to say about that issue. Just write to us at kstp.com. You can listen to episodes of that issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on our website. Just head to the at issue page at kstp.com. A programming note at issue will not air next week due to ABC's coverage of the Indianapolis 500. We'll see you in two weeks for another edition of At Issue.